0: Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host, Mark Kennedy. Joined again this week by Lima Breen. Liam, how are things?
1: Delighted, Mark, to be here in a cracking game to review the Ireland South
0: Africa one. Absolutely. No, it was a sensational fixture, a proper test match. Uh, we'll review that. I suppose this episode will really run the rule on the Autumn International Series second weekend if you want to be technical about it we'll review the ireland 1916 win over south africa the aviva on saturday night we'll also look at the new zealand 15 giving an absolute lesson to ireland day uh, also we'll run the rule over some of the other marquee fixtures uh Liam, i suppose start from the start i suppose uh, ireland versus south africa the aviva your impressions and reaction to that 1916 win for ireland
1: so look, what I enjoyed, like you know, and let's be honest, at times there's enough like lock on, knock on knock ons and all that. But I I really enjoyed the the that strong rush defence that was employed, uh, and I loved the counter-rocking. rocking. <laughs> My God, like it was just that was it was just ferocious at the breakdown. That for me was brilliant. Like so, it was proper old school rugby. Um, there wasn't going to be much in it. There's going to be a few kicks, and that that's what it came down to. So like, yeah, superb stuff. Um, and, you know, while you could look at it in the second half, Ireland, did they really have opportunities at 16-6 six to pull away? Answer, probably not. You know what I mean? They had a penalty or two, yeah, for sure. But, like, there was there was nothing in it for that entire 80 minutes. And uh, it's been a long time since we've had such a cracking game, actually.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you, Liam. I thought it was just a proper test match. From start to finish, I mean, the physicality, the aggressiveness of both teams, particularly in the breakdown, the ruck area, everything was so fiercely competitive. Um, I suppose we can start from the start, like Garland's first foray into the South African territory. Johnny Sexton gets the penalty after three minutes. And quickly responding is Damien Williams in nine minutes. But I suppose, Liam, the start of this match, South Africa started so well. Control the tempo, control possession and territory, and Ireland really had to use the tackle count as well. I told us during the game, after around 25 minutes, Ireland had already uh, committed 46 tackles, um, given the dominance of South Africa, but really weren't showing much in the scoreboard uh, for their efforts.
1: Yeah, look, I, 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 I felt, well first I feel like it was very clever, that kick and and, and then actually the gather from, from ring rolls at the very start. I, Tremendous amount of momentum, you know, um, for Sexton's first penalty there. But yeah, I, what I felt in that first half, and really over the course of the game, South Africa they were very lateral, you know. They weren't really going anywhere, you know. And and good teams don't do that, you know. frankly, they ask a bit more questions. So Ireland's defence, I I I I, was, I thought it was quite comfortable actually, for all the tackles that they were making. They weren't making, if you know what I mean, they weren't making. Try save and desperate tackles. We're making tackles quite far out. You know, South Africa then weren't really getting up into a head of steam. The likes of Etzebeth and Peter Sartor-Doy, they were just being cut down straight away, um, which was very impressive, I must say. And I suppose, look, we the the, the first thing I'd, I'd say is about Colby's yellow car there on Hansen. I mean you could see that given as a, as a red at times, you know, because it was certainly the toy lifted, but then your man literally, literally drove him, pile dragged him into the ground. So that was, I suppose, that was one of the first key moments there, really.
0: Yeah, it was an interesting decision. It was a big game for the Georgian referee, given that he had the likes of Renal as a touch judge alongside him, and I thought that was a very marquee call. Now... South Africa have been quite critical of officiating post-game. Um, I think the side of Mac Hansen, uh, I think with him in BP, I think, wasn't it? Uh, literally had him in the air. Uh, there's been a few comparisons, but I think Colby, I think, was pretty lucky. The fact that he kind of changed his grip mid-tackle here as well and leverage mid What is a tip tackle anymore, uh, Liam, to be perfectly honest? Uh, Maybe to try it is probably the mitigating circumstance, but it's that word mitigating, isn't it? Um, The referees are looking for the mitigation, really, not to issue the red. But again, it didn't... The the video, it just wasn't a good look here for uh, Colby. I think he was quite relieved when he only got a yellow carder.
1: Yeah, certainly. I I would say so too, you know. And um, I suppose, look... After that, like we we had a a crazy opportunity well you, you wouldn't see it normally where um Sexton's arm high on on Lende and it actually resulted in a switch penalty. <laughs> I mean, how often do you ever see that happening? You know, um, yeah. but of course, Willem said it was almost the real start of his horror show <laughs> when he had an absolutely atrocious wide. And I think nearly from that moment on, like you pretty much handed over the kicking duties to go up before the rest of the game, you know?
0: Because he had started relatively bright, but me you had mon- money last week when you had mentioned about Williamsa, uh, you know, very, very good ball carrier, you know, really orchestrates well, but he's kicking game. You had a question mark over and I mean, that Sexton penalty concession, you would have expected, you know, a test match operator, a 10 really slot that over. And kind of build an advantage here for South Africa, but the miss was it looked unconvincing at best. And then for um, Colby then to be summoned into the breach to fill that kicking void, yeah, it just wasn't not a good look for South Africa. And you you pinpointed it as well, Lean, just in terms of the kicking options. If that actually had materialized, South Africa would struggle, and so it kind of proved as the game wore on.
1: Yeah, it did. But I suppose, look, to be fair, Sexton had, had, a, had a bit of, a, bit of a, a slight off off day as well. Probably with him, it was more down to just probably a twinge or like, uh, you know, that, that he's 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 um maybe carrying a bit of an injury as, as the game went on there. But yeah, I mean, I suppose, look, South Africa in that first half, in the second half of the first half, do you know, typical, they were basically looking for line-out malls. They were getting actually no joy off them whatsoever. Um and then of course Willemsa kick, kick gets blocked down quite handily, I'd have to say for um for Sheehan to kick through and yeah this out try for
0: for Sheehan. Absolutely, you no. Know, I think it was it was Jesse Creel that kind of got back. It was good kind of tracking from him because it looked like a try written all over it, didn't it? When Sheehan kicked ahead, it looked like he had the advantage, but. I think that's a superb piece of defensive play from Jesse Krill uh, to prevent that try because, as you said, Williams, uh, the the confidence that you could see was visibly kind of waning here at a rate of knots. Um, Even, you know, from, let's say, Hendricks uh, was literally taking an awful lot of ball as well, looking to kind of test the fringes here, maybe taking that pressure a little bit off of himself as well. But, yeah, that was kind of, um, it looked like a marquee point here in, in the game, but... Uh, in fairness to Ireland, like, it kind of stem the flow in terms of that South African pressure, particularly in the opening period, and Johnny Sexton sliding over that 36-minute penalty, um, making it 6-3. Again, everything's been very fiercely competitive. But again, uh, just before halftime, penalty uh, given to South Africa, just in front of the post, and Chelsea and Colby uh, equalising 6-0. So, I mean, nothing given... You know, here too soft here from either side, six out of half time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, I I mean, in terms of half time, you'd probably say, look, it it was kind of like a a very fair reflection on how the first half went. You know, (laughs) both sides strong defensively, um, yet didn't really produce much in in terms of really opportunities. You get you'd have to say, and um, you know, penalties given away by each side, I suppose. Look. Jameson Gibson Park came on there on the 34th or 35th minute for, for Murray. Poor Murray got a right bad twinge, or he was wincing anyway. Um, but I thought, again, that, that changed the game. Particularly, I suppose, really, it was more after half-time, literally from the forty eighth minute on. Massive, massive up, up-tempo.
0: up Absolutely, because that was, the word for me was attritional. My post-game report on Hawkeye Sidekick on Facebook was attritional. Murray had to go off with the groin, and I think it's confirmation that he's now ruled out for the rest of the Autumn International Series for Ireland, given that groin injury. I'm thinking of Stuart McCluskey as well here, Liam, as well. What a powerful 25 minutes he had on the pitch. I was so sad, desperately sad to see him go off, uh, you know, because he was making a massive impact defensively. And also his ball carrying as well was absolutely superb as well.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, as I said, our potentially, we'll, we'll keep beating on about it. Our, our kind of potential Manu Nono type, you know, but, the, you know, we potentially, in Jimmy O'Brien, really have another jewel of a player, um, a guy who, you know, maybe we'd like to see now play a start against against the Aussies. He did an absolutely terrific uh, cameo for us to
0: the game. Yeah, Yeah, for a definite... <laughs> And he even admitted in post-game, he thought he'd only come on for the last two, three minutes. To be thrust into that cauldron, I'll just call it a cauldron, because it was so sufficiently competitive. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, you know, to come on, I thought he's kicking game. You know, the left foot option here for Gibson Park particularly was invaluable, particularly as the game. But again, he's link up play, particularly in three quarters. Uh, Ring Rose going into 12, Jimmy O'Brien to 13. It just shows the versatility of the, the player. You know, Jimmy O'Brien, we've seen him play full-back, we've seen him play back three. Now we've seen him in an international against the reigning world champions, then at 13. My God, Liam, you know, in terms of depth chart-wise, you know, we've, again, another person here that we can probably rely upon uh, going into a World Cup next year.
1: Yeah, and again, I, I look. I mean, I mean, I, I still think we're not going to have a huge amount for of kind of leeway from now on. Once the autumn internationals are over, that's pretty much it. For me that's kind of 50 players locked on and that's who's going to be who's going to be selected from but he he's absolutely put his head up there um and yeah i think uh, you know when we look at what aki is still there you know he's still an option as well so we have our four or five top
0: centers there to choose from absolutely this is what we've been looking for lean in our podcast we've looked for depth chart again to be identified and you see the likes to Jimmy O'Brien. But again, I'll go back to the prop situation here. Tyke Furlong, you can recall maybe two three years ago, Dileem, uh, if Tyke, Fern, Tyke Furlong had literally withdrawn after 40 minutes, we would have really felt things would be ominous for Ireland. But the fact that Finlay Bealham came in at an absolutely superb job in the Ireland front row. Again, it's providing more and more evidence here from an Andy Farrell and maybe management perspective that we are shoring up the depth chart here, particularly in the, the prop situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's kind of funny to say this, but like more so nearly feel him covering Furlong than someone covering Porter. That's that's still, to me, loose head is more of a, a problem position yeah. right now. Um, But yeah, and, and Hooker, we're certainly very comfortable, like if you have, say, Sheehan and at the moment and, and Herring coming on. So, yeah, there's the certainly depth. The depth chart is is uh, absolutely tremendous at the moment. But like, yeah, I mean, look, Jimmy O'Brien had a great break there early in the second half. And of course, then was just very prominent in the try for Hansen. But I mean, for me, the miracle try that game <laughs> Yeah, while why, why, why Hansen's were good, and probably Van der Fleer like how he got the ball down there, it's like it's like one of these new methods that that teams are going to be able to use from now on. Like you know, basically to try now foot mall, just skew skew everything sideways and have have one lad in the middle there that they can't figure out where he is. Like you know, I mean to pop down. Absolutely, just
0: interesting. Massive ingenuity I thought from Van der Fleer. I, I assume that has been executed in the training ground, particularly around Carleton House. But I mean, I think the bravery first to hit the line first off from the penalty, it would have been very easy just to take your three points and consolidate. But the fact that Sexton went for the juggler and again line out was sometimes a little bit iffy, you know, in terms of the um the set piece. But at this time it was absolutely executed. Par par and in fairness to the pack, you know, <laughs> it's not every day you see a South African pack really go backwards at a rate of knots. And in fairness, to Van der Flair it was just ingenious, really, in terms of how he got the ball down, given the massive pressure that was being exerted by South Africa as well. Uh, massive score, really, in, in the context of the game.
1: Yeah, well, it was. I mean, I mean, like you know, you, you felt certainly a, a converted try or a try, I suppose, at some sort, at that stage would be key to kind of closing out the, the remainder of the game. And, uh, yeah, it was good. Iron got it and then even better when we got a second try.
0: Yeah. Uh, what was your viewpoint of, um, now South African fans ping me on Twitter, but that pass between Porter and Beatham, did you feel that was borderline or in terms of the pass?
1: Yeah. Look, yeah. If, if, if we be honest about it, yes, it was, it certainly was, <laughs> but I mean like borderline is borderline, isn't it? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, where where do you you know call back a try? I still think it's it's you know a, a incredible try. I just have you scored a better one really in 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 many years? And uh, anyway, you you can call it back. I think everyone can call back two or three phases before <laughs> before the the score or anyway. So <laughs> we won't go into that.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, we'll move swiftly on. But I mean, uh, Gibson Park has to take a huge amount of credit here as well just in terms of his gameplay awareness, just to spot that gap, use his pace to full effect and really kind of stretch that South African uh, team to breaking point, uh, essentially. Yeah, uh, but
1: yeah, 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 it was it was just yeah, it was an unbelievable break, really. Um, and there aren't many scrum halves who can who can break like that. And uh, yeah, that's 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 what when once once that break was gone, like it was all over, you know, South Africa were not going to scramble good enough uh, anymore, and Hansen had a, a a good finish. Yeah, so I mean, like, and he he's actually got himself a good try scoring record actually with Ireland now at the moment as well.
0: Absolutely, because it was super quick hands from Keenan, also Jimmy O'Brien as well to lead up to that try as well, uh, committing players to the tackle uh, for Hansen to get in. uh unfortunately, I suppose. Uh, uh the conversion it was challenging conditions now we've talked about him being off target a little bit sexton as well was off target on these two uh conversions here yeah and
1: they were were both exactly the same position pretty much to convert from and to to be honest honest, there was nothing in it they weren't like to me they weren't bad misses as compared to the south african ones they were just like you know just slightly slightly out you know Slightly le- left left of the post.
0: Yeah, I thought. Yeah. Oh yeah, I thought there were absolutely great efforts from Sexton to get them uh, to go over. But I mean, kind of going back to Murray as well. Centurion, I think the foundations here was really built from Ireland on that first thirty thirty five minutes when South Africa had their probably dominance in terms of their territory and kind of deep in the Ireland half. I mean, Murray, I thought, played things very well you know, really was a defensive niche around the fringes. And again, his kicking game, I thought, was pretty decent as well. So, I mean, I think he did set up Gibson Park, I think, magnificently well to come in. I know the fringe, you know, run um, off a the, off the rook uh, there with Murray's departure, but I think he did set up the the game fairly well for Gibson Park to come in and make that impact, just given Murray's impact here. I think that the opening exchange was so ferocious that maybe the Murray selection actually was probably well warranted.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. With him coming on then and say the thirty five minute mark, indeed. To be honest, I, honest, I, I thought that Murray certainly he he outplayed his opposite number in Hendrix, uh, who um was far more ponderous and whose kicking was, yeah, quite poor, you know. Yeah, so I would agree I would agree that, that Murray certainly kind of um I suppose he broke them down. Yeah. Initially, um, in in his in these thirty four minutes on the pitch, that's for sure. Yeah,
0: because I think Ireland, to a man, like literally, um, performed exceedingly well. I know we'd asked for James Ryan to really turn up and deliver, and I thought he did that. You know, with fourteen tackles, his work rate was immense throughout. Uh, Tyburn as well before being withdrawn. You know, again, workmanlike was a massive threat around rock time the fact that marks you had pinpointed marks as maybe a key guy for south africa really wasn't too prominent in terms of the breakdown and i think a huge credit must go to the ireland pack and particularly that back row for really keeping marks uh quite throughout
1: yeah and again i mean like that was thing that we, that we were kind of debating as well do you know what I mean? Like, I know if so many choices, but we were debating whether, like, the O'Mahony, Van der or Doris. So I suppose we were really only were saying it was Van der Flier at seven, was the only nailed on guy. Then you could have about of a dozen potential combinations after that, like. But again, look, at this stage, that, o, that O'Mahony, Van der Flier, Doris has seen off South Africa, and it's seen off a three-game uh, series, you know, against New Zealand. So there's absolutely no arguments there
0: whatsoever. Exactly, but I mean we felt, I know we were pinging during the game here, Lim. we felt that there would be more of a response from South Africa and certainly proved that once the bench was cleared from South Africa, particularly the front row options, to Klerk came on, uh, along with 4E as well, I thought was very prominent in exchanges and uh, the response probably kick-started from Franco Mussert's, uh try on 67 minutes that was a very patient build-up from South Africa and Mostert had a bit to do when he broke the line. Uh, but game on.
1: Yeah, look, I mean I mean again, yeah, they 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 upped the tempo, but again, they were, I thought they were going nowhere, to be honest with you, right right then. And it, it was more oh, what a great line that Mustard ran. Alright, <laughs> yeah. again, any any pure like, you know, genius backline move or breakthrough from them. But yeah, I mean just he had a lot to do, even literally with a with a hand stretched out. How many times can someone lose the ball over the line? So yeah, absolutely. But I, I for me, I thought that um really coming on was 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 key in terms of the backline, and I thought that Quacker Smith and Faree, yeah, as you said, like were were huge, huge for them for the last twenty minutes as well.
0: Exactly and I think you know we mentioned last week that maybe South Africa would experiment a little bit in the halfback position maybe a little bit of an audition tape here for Hendrikse and also Vimsa as well so I doubt if we're going to see those two guys play Ireland in a World Cup proper next year but again the pressure kept on building here didn't it from South Africa sign of champions that they are and uh what can you say about Ethabet's uh <laughs> offload here to Terenza on 76 minutes uh Team, truly sensational given the context of the game
1: yeah he had a lot to do didn't he like because he was straight he he, he got the ball straight and then he kind of arced he arced in a run and to be fair he, he fairly easily pushed off balakum and hence and hansen you know literally one-handed like you know um but yeah and then sensational sensational offload to her there yeah so yeah that was that was that was worth seeing i guess as well
0: exactly but and it again just
1: shows how key sexton's uh penalty was there in 73 minutes before that for Ireland yeah. to to keep that um that lead
0: it did just feel a seismic moment didn't it when sexton did kick that penalty on 74 making it that two score game against africa really having to go all out again to really kind of salvage something from the game so i mean that was a pressure kick from sexton and given the weather conditions as well particularly down that end of Eva, that win can swirl. And in fairness to Sexton, a magnificent kick learned from his two previous conversions. And uh, yeah, up to that two score. But again, Orenza's try kind of uh, set things in the balance. But again, I think you have to credit Ireland here really at the end. I mean, Carbery then comes on for his three-minute cameo. I don't know what Joy Carby must have been thinking on the bench really when everyone else was kind of getting stripped off, ready for action... After 40 minutes, 30 minutes to go, um, Carberry had to wait patiently there. Um, but again, last three to four minutes, um, from an Ireland perspective, it was, you know, they closed out the game uh, relatively OK.
1: Yeah, yeah, they did indeed. Yeah, yeah. It was like pre- pretty much keep all and uh, rock, rock to rock. And look, I mean, that's, that's, that's really top teams. That's what they do at the end of a game. They don't they don't give the they don't give the ball back. And that was that was a crucial thing as well.
0: Now, I mean, you know, nineteen sixteen win, I think Kholeese kind of uh, had an awful lot of complimentary words for Ireland straight after full time whistle, but you know as well as I do here, uh, Liam, just in terms of South Africa may have learned an awful lot in terms of maybe half back options or half back options they may not potentially have now. So I think from that perspective, the likes of Fafta Clerk Forty, again, guys coming off the bench, I think you can imagine here that there may be kind of personnel changes come the World Cup next year. But I mean, are we looking again at Pollard? Are we looking at Goosen? Are we looking at Limbock? Again, I think from a South African perspective, that 10 jersey particularly, and maybe nine is maybe troublesome here in terms of their attacking cohesion because we didn't see Jesse Krill much in the game, ball in hand. And Delende, even though he had 11 carries for 35 metres, really didn't provide much in terms of significant moments in the game from South African from attacking sense
1: yeah but I mean look i i, I don't i I, as I said to you I, before during the game, I kind of kind of said we kind of that we basically schooled them quite well we we let them run where we wanted them to run into our strongest defense um and i I, I don't think that they're going to really be any way somehow better or more inventive. <laughs> next year hollered back would just ensure they are probably better at kicking uh, penalties but um you know it sets it up well for us that, that we have we have this over them now again i think
0: yeah i think it's a nice little psychological boost going into the world cup maybe you see the deal from south africa in terms of the manner of the loss you know they really tried to use their physicality they pro- saw the game tape in terms of la rochelle particularly The Bulls against Leinster tried to really kind of bludgeon Ireland. But in fairness to Ireland, they really stood up massively in terms of the defensive kind of workload. But also Ireland's attacking play, once they got any semblance of line breaks, they were very clinical. So I think all in all here, Liam, it's a great result. But I suppose Andy Farrell and the team will be first to admit that, you know, from a possession and maybe territory perspective, if we repeat those numbers a little bit in France next year, we may be struggling for a result here. So I think the performance probably will get elevated a little bit more, uh, just in terms of maybe Ireland's attacking play, and maybe maybe a little bit more cohesion. Um, I mean, that's probably harsh, coming into the first game of the Autumn International Series from Ireland. But again, you can see kind of scope for improvement here for Ireland, which is pretty pleasing.
1: Yeah, of course. And I suppose, look, at the end of the day, Derry were, we you know, four or five minutes to go, you know, there was a kick in it. There was a penalty in it, like, you know. But it was it was it was one of those games where I suppose while Ireland Ireland deserved the, the victory, yeah, there, there, there was an awful lot of, of room for improvement there. But, you know, I in the second half, what pleased me, we got two scrum penalties. That hugely pleased me. Um and when Bongi came on, usually that even strengthens up their, their lineup mall and they did nothing in the game. So we, we basically all their their strengths, we um we we dealt with very very quickly and very easily. So that was what, that pleased me as well. Ireland just had this kind of rugby smarts, which you you sometimes need to win things. Rugby smarts in Ireland, of all the teams now up there with France, have that.
0: I think that's a massively good point for me, Liam. That rugby smarts, particularly in the last kind of five ten minutes, utterly really kind of secured the game. We made the right calls at the right time, even thinking to that first try, going for the juggler at that particular time. So the game management was really on point here and uh hopefully it bodes well, Lean, you know, going into the rest of the Autumn International series. And I mean, from a South African perspective, you know, forty percent kick success rate. It's just not good enough in terms of test match rugby. They'll review and they'll probably evaluate. Um, it will be interesting, though, Liam, I suppose, if we get on to Thursday night, uh, still but South Africa, their Select 15 against Munster in sold-out Park of Kiev. Uh, the team has been announced from South Africa, and quite a few um, notable inclusions here. 14 Cats Springbok players in the squad face Munster. I suppose, what's your initial impressions of that squad, uh, Liam? And anyone that you kind of think from that South African 15 that may be elevated to... The senior squad before the end of this autumn international series is out
1: yeah um you certainly would have to look in in the back line there i mean what they, they've got the likes of uh fassi Lionel Zas, who was the top try scorer in the urc last season you know some serious uh players there actually to be fair i mean if cornell hendricks who must have been given the all clear recently the only reason he wasn't playing for south africa was because he wasn't being signed off medically to play international rugby he's He's playing South Africa, eh, and, you know, I mean, with De Lende there, himself and De Linde could be a, a promising partnership as well. Um, and then, of course, they have a lot of um, real top props as well, like Dutoy, and they have Mchunu. And uh, this Rue Yorkie there their uh, lock is quite an interesting option as well. So I think those are probably guys who, for them, are looking for... Um, be greater recognition. I guess like, the thing for, for Munster is it's tremendous in the break to to test ourselves against such quality. And the thing is, you know, will we see the likes of facing up against them, the likes of a dog bow? Will we see Ono Collar? Will we see all Ke- Alex Kendall and all those good
0: players? Exactly. It's got to be a magnificent occasion down in Cork on Thursday night. Hopefully, the weather kind of plays its part because i think really the surface down in parka Kiev it should be set up for a magnificent game um i suppose going back to south africa 15 here i suppose from a Munster perspective nothing soft here because <laughs> if you look at that 23-man squad that they have each guy here from south africa will be harboring ambitions to get to that world cup in france and no better audition tape than providing a big big performance here in parka Kiev against munster to really Kind of show Razi Erasmus and the rest of the management that they should be getting elevated in a senior squad come the Autumn International Series uh, for the next few games. I'm looking particularly here at the likes of Jason Jenkins, you know, a quick return back to Munster uh, for Jason Jenkins here and can would ruin Norte uh, as well. I think it's a f- phenomenally talented. A brace of physical second-row partnership here. So, I think quite a few guys here in that South African 15 are really looking to really lay down the marker here, given the performance of maybe one or two players uh, for South Africa's um, test match team over the weekend.
1: Yeah, certainly. They certainly are. I mean, like, as I said, you know, you're probably looking at full-back, lock, yeah, and again, it's a good point. Jenkins, as much as Norkey, have a great chance will getting into the World Cup squad. They really do, like, you know. Um I suppose looking in the continued absence at this stage of, of Sneeman, I mean the the fourth locking option is arguably between those two those two guys, you know. Yeah, also gee, I suppose we'll have to we'll have to say mention uh, ten in light of what's happened in, in the Aviva as well with, with Johan Gussen has to be has to be looked at as well. So yeah, they they have something to play for. But you know, so do Munster and this is this is uh Munster touring side and and uh yeah, Munster are going to be ferocious. That's a, that's what I would be pre- predicting in it as well.
0: Exactly, you know, because the news about RG Snyman as well is not very promising at the moment. Press release from Munster stating that the player will not be unavailable for selection until probably starting next year, which is unfortunate. So, as you say, opportunity not, uh, knocks for those African squad members, particularly in that second row lock um, perspective. Might be interesting to see Kieran McDonald Saran maybe making an appearance here for Munster Rugby as well. I know he's joined in the last week, week and a half, but it'd be great to see him, hey, maybe Ollie Morris, getting some game minutes here. I don't know what the situation with Anton Frisch is here as well, but it would be interesting to see if we get, get some bodies back here and maybe the newcomers to really get themselves climatised to Munster Rugby. I don't think Munster Rugby players will be found wanting in terms of motivation and work rate here. Um, I think it's a good test for Round 3, Leamy and Prendergast particularly, with such a talented team coming to Park at Kiev. So I think it's all really set for a fascinating game on Thursday night. Lean, before we switch to more international games, maybe get your thoughts in terms of Friday night in the uh, RDS with New Zealand 15 giving a bit of a lesson to Ireland Day. or your overall feelings here and maybe... Who from the New Zealand side should be maybe getting a call up from Ian Foster and uh, to that senior setup because there was quite a few uh, stand up performances on the night.
1: Yeah, I suppose look didn't didn't we think that, that the gap had closed between ourselves and New Zealand in terms of overall uh depth chart before this? Because with the way I suppose that we came back against the, the Maori in the summer. Um and yeah, um, I suppose the, the thing is Sean Stevenson, you know, continues to impress as probably the most rounded winger that New Zealand have. I actually sh- sh- don't think the guy has actually ever played for the All Blacks yet, which is incredibly surprising. And then, of course, there's the, the golden, golden wonder himself, Damien McKenzie, who is just a, an electric talent. Those guys, those are two most obvious guys um, for New Zealand to to come into the reckoning. Probably bench options, anyway, initially. Um, and, and also, I think the key thing is that New Zealand just... They never give Ireland a platform. Ireland had no forward platform for the game. New Zealand know the way the the, the ref was going to uh, kind of blow it in the game, and so at the breakdown they were king. And that's 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 their Robbie Clevers is always the breakdown. They they can interpret how the referee is going to blow it. So,
0: yeah, you mentioned Robbie smarts there in terms of the Ireland senior team against South Africa. I think this may be a massive lesson learned for the Ireland A team. Let's be frank about it. An awful lot of guys that are prospects, looking one day to kind of represent Ireland in a senior Test match international. But I suppose lesson here is if your pack need to be on the front foot from minute one, and it certainly didn't happen here, Liam. I think the pack probably would be very disappointed in video analysis from an Ireland perspective, just given how things went. Um, New Zealand were just completely on point. Maybe there was a bit of pent up frustration after the summer international loss series to Ireland and maybe certain players, I think there was eight players in that squad last Friday night that would have faced Ireland in the summer tour. So maybe they were laying down a bit of a marker there in terms of maybe a little bit of revenge. But again I thought it was a very impressive performance off New Zealand that 15. I mean we talked about Damon McKenzie, he had a smile on his face all the way through, and I think for any opposition that's bad news. Because when Damien McKenzie is just literally positive in terms of his mindset he's capable of doing out. in that third try particularly, Liam, was just absolutely sensational. Brought me back to when seeing Damien McKenzie, particularly in high school in New Zealand, really controlling games from deep. And I mean, the line break leading up to that third try for New Zealand was just absolutely outstanding. And as you say, Sean Stevenson as well. He wreaked havoc for Ireland in that summer tour. I just can't see why Sean Stevenson can't get into that New Zealand senior squad uh come the end of this autumn international series because the guy is absolutely stacked as you say
1: yeah and it's it's nice if they have an amazing array of talent there at the moment too probably caleb clark is probably nailed down in one wing and yeah he he could be there, there on the other on the other wing but i mean i suppose we have to give kudos too, too, to 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 kieran frawley he did actually score and convert to try after some some nice offloading from the forwards there so that was that was something good to see anyway and I thought, look, uh, Jack Crowley came on. And again, you know, you're talking about he's already probably in the top four scrum, scrum, um, out halves for Ireland now. And he had a very, very strong cameo as well.
0: In fairness to Ireland, I think they can pick a few positives from that performance in RDS. I mean, James Hume took untold punishment at three quarters. Just some rib tickler tackles there going in left, right and centre. But Hume finished off with 12 carries, most from an Ireland A perspective. Calvin Nash kind of was pretty prominent here uh, when he got ball. And to be fair to Stockdale, Nash here particularly, there was not much of an abundance of Mike Lowry as well. There wasn't an abundance of real kind of free-flowing ball coming to him. But when Nash got it, 89 metres was pretty, I thought, prominent here. Looked to make things happen, uh, certainly. Um, Lowry, five defenders beaten. As you say, kind of, it was a tough night, I thought, for particularly Craig Casey but I think that was more maybe to do with the pack dominance of New Zealand 15 than anything else. Or did you think maybe there was maybe a little bit of a delay here from Craig Casey in distribution here?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's when you always wonder isn't about Scrum half, was it was it that the delay in, in the, in, in his speed of passing or, or was it that you just couldn't get any, any, you know, quick rock ball. And I think, I think it was the latter to be fair. <laughs> I think it really was the latter, but the, the, the physicality from the All Blacks was huge. And, I think sometimes nowadays they don't seem to have that that ferocious physicality and that was there and when that is there, allied to their skill set uh, at times, you know, it makes them unplayable at all levels really.
0: There does seem to be a, a bit of a shift again back to maybe, maybe traditional values from New Zealand rugby, playing direct, playing physical and line breaks and attacking options out wide, presenting itself. There was definitely, like Dom Garner, I thought was absolutely phenomenal. Brody McAllister, Aiden Ross. Again, guys were putting in serious shifts in terms of ball carrying, but also their defensive work. They were really shunting Ireland ball carriers back. And I thought their line speed, particularly defensively, really did snuff out any options that like secure on Frawley and Jack Crowley had uh, during that uh, match as well. Did no options really outside to really penetrate. I thought it was just overall... New Zealand 15, TJ Paranara. You can go on and on here, Dean, to be fair. I think 23 guys that came on for New Zealand 15 have done their cases no harm at all in terms of maybe getting on that shop window in terms of getting into that senior squad. And I think TJ Paranara, one of them being recalled into New Zealand senior squad ahead of this weekend's uh, fixture against Scotland and Murrayfield on Sunday.
1: Certainly. And I I mean, like, this is a guy who has, like, being there, won multiple World Cups is is he certainly is one of the the top All Blacks of all time. Like you'd have to say, so, Key's experience coming back in for Almitash is going to be key. Yeah, I I I I I think New Zealand are actually well stacked to prop as well. That's something that like, probably wasn't said for a while. But Aiden Aiden Ross is like an absolute monster. I have to say, yeah, I'm very impressed with him actually.
0: Exactly. exactly. Now, I mean, I think Andy Farrell had kind of said before this that. He felt that this would be an up, you know, a grade up from what R and A would have faced, particularly down in New Zealand, and has certainly proved the case. So I suppose learnings there are massive learnings here for the R and A players. I think this is a massive learning experience, probably more so than maybe that emerging South African tour, even though they got wins. The caliber opposition here was kind of at a different level. So maybe players now need to just reevaluate and kind of reflect and see how they can improve because they were taught an awful lot of lessons here in terms of execution, in terms of the physicality, just being at the pitch of the game from minute one. And uh, from that perspective, we will see probably a few Ireland A guys getting drafted into the squad ahead of that Fiji match uh, this weekend, uh, and I suppose, quite quickly, kind of going through maybe some of the ultimate international series games last weekend. Fiji, particularly in that first half, gave a very good account of themselves against Scotland and Murrayfield. I know, ultimately, Scotland won twenty eight twelve, 12 but I mean... An awful lot of good points here from Fiji, particularly in that first half, to have maybe a little bit of confidence coming to Dublin.
1: Of course, they will, yeah. And and also, I mean, like, I suppose if we're looking at at, at who's, in, who's in our group, you know, I mean, we have to look at our opponents. And yeah, so it's, that's going to be quite interesting as well. Fiji always have, you know, the pace and the skill, but I suppose it, probably it was a case that the Scotland just up front had that domination which the Fijians weren't able to get. And maybe maybe that was one of the key things in the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was very topsy-turvy for staff here. It kind of ebbed and flowed. I mean, George Turner scoring for Scotland after seven minutes. You thought, OK, Adam Hastings with conversion. You thought maybe it's a long afternoon here for Fiji. But in fairness to Fiji, Tui to Siou, Sioufou uh, scores after 14 minutes. And then I thought their try from row to Isola. <laughs> Apologies for any Fijians that are listening to this podcast. I thought that was a phenomenal a try. It was classic Fiji. The way that they basically constructed that try, um, literally um, setting up Scottish defensively inside and then literally a nice spin pass out to the wing. Stuart Hogg, no disrespect to him, he's never getting there. So the try, basically, and suddenly Scotland have a bit of a game on. I suppose the significant moment here for me was Adam Hastings' try just on half time here, Liam. It was a spin move that actually went wrong. Hastings was supposed to spin it out wide, saw very quickly that Fiji had closed his base down and kind of avoided Fiji tackler. And unfortunately for Fiji, there was no cover behind and was quite fortunate, I thought, to get a try. He's not not getting away with that against New Zealand, by the way. And then Mm -hmm. the conversion, 14-12. And then as a result, Scotland were making hard yards here. Fiji, the physicality, they're noted for it. But again... Scotland, there was three players in the bin for Fiji throughout the 80 minutes. And again, that defensive mall for Fiji was getting exposed more than once. And maybe that is a place and an area where Ireland hopefully should expose on Saturday, particularly if they get decent field position because uh, Fiji definitely struggled on a few of the tries, particularly the likes of Ben White and and Vandermeer as well getting a try just after halftime to break open the game but again I think from a Scotland perspective the pack platform was imperative to get this win
1: yeah it was uh, and you know I, that's one thing I, I, I would say about the Scots they they are always in the in the back row very combative and they I suppose look can get good ruck ball quick ruck ball give a bit of a platform um but you know Scotland still have problems, even even Stuart Hogg at times is the most brain rugby player on the pitch. You know, defensively, goes to sleep, and he certainly goes to sleep offensively, even if he's pretty much trying to touch down for a try, yeah. So, they have a lot to work on, the Scots, to be
0: honest. About, it, like, after what we saw, what New Zealand handed out to Wales, and let's be perfectly honest, they handed them in absolute hiding in the Principality Stadium here, Liam, again... The scoreline here, 55-23 for New Zealand, but again, utterly dominant, I thought, up front. Wales but really no answers. I think there's been speculation in Welsh media that maybe Wayne Pivic named a wrong side here, uh, particularly thinking that maybe not enough physicality, particularly up front, but taking away from New Zealand here, like Cody Taylor, Geordie Barrett, but I thought Sevilla was absolutely on a different level during this game and particularly Richie Amunga as well was just uh, orchestrating the strings on a very dominant pack. So I think from a Scotland perspective, the work is cut out uh, given that New Zealand performance uh, last weekend.
1: Yeah, and also look, I mean, I mean you'd also have the question at this stage, even on the bench to have someone come on there like Alan Wynne Jones, you know, who's, you know, I think everyone would say is in the, the top echelons of all time uh, at lock but but certainly his day is done as well yeah maybe we might see him giving some like farewell appearance in the, the next Wales match or two but yeah um, I still think you know in a funny way that Wales have more in than than, than the Scots they have far more options I guess is, is the, the real thing about it but yeah I mean I was a bit surprised at how easy it was for New Zealand
0: we were fancying Wales to put one over on New Zealand last weekend. I'm pretty confident of it, but when I was seeing the New Zealand 15 <laughs> performance against Ireland I was trying to reassess uh, that prediction a little bit. But I think Wales, as you say, had some good moments. Rio Dyer from the Dragons comes in on his debut, scores a try, very well to try. I thought um, the likes of Garrett Hanscombe really did stand up from a fullback position. I thought it was very prominent in open play. So when they did have particular periods of play, I thought they were very impressive, but again it was just pack-wise again on the key moments, New Zealand were able to assert pressure here, and Ardi Sevilla really, Scott Barrett, Cody Taylor, you know, it was just literally, at times Sean Vazel, really to dominate the the Rook area, and uh, again, if you have the quality of 9-10, and particularly the backline that New Zealand do have, they're going to punish you, and You know, there was various penalties conceded by Wales during that 80 minutes. And, you know, there's, you know, 55 points probably is a fair reflection in terms of the dominance that New Zealand probably had on the game.
1: Yeah, again, you know, are New New Zealand back or was this kind of a uh, one of those, like every second, every third game kind of really show up? Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how New Zealand get on in the rest of the the tour. But what looked like potential, you know, historic sort of maybe victories for the likes of Wales and then, of course, the likes of Scotland. Yeah, I think very much that, that's that gone for a long while now.
0: Yeah, I think Scotland just have to focus on their performance here and really front up physically on the front eight because I think we've seen a bit of a... Maybe the game plan was a little bit disjointed, particularly in that summer tour when Ireland were down in New Zealand, but certainly when we've seen the New Zealand 15 against Ireland Day, particularly this performance last weekend against New Zealand Wales, there has been a bit of a more deliberate set in terms of being direct physically and really having the pack platform being paramount here. Maybe they played a little bit more rugby than they should do in terms of maybe uh the summer tour. They've adjusted new coaching setup alongside Ian Foster and maybe it's paying dividends here. There's a tour here where they've had weeks now to prepare, but they look to be hitting the ground running here, uh Lima, particularly that game against Japan we were a bit critical of that New Zealand performance but maybe is that kind of indicating something in terms of the form line for Japan that maybe Japan are looking pretty impressive here given that they ran New Zealand so close in Tokyo on week one
1: yeah uh, but I mean I mean I suppose it's been said that there's nothing between the top teams now you know if if you look at what Japan are probably 10th maybe 11th in the rankings there's nothing between them uh, on their day Again, that that New Zealand probably Wales, you know, was probably more of a, of an exceptional result nowadays. Nowadays, if there's anything more than ten points between the teams, it's it's a, it's quite a a bit of a unusual result, we'll say. So uh, yeah, and um, I suppose leading on from that, we had Australia at the Stade of France, and that again shows uh, that the their day Australia can be a very dangerous animal
0: thought Australia, really, you know, that was an incredible match, given the drama of Damon Pinot's uh, late sensational try. But I think take nothing away from Australia, I think they really provided a statement of intent. Um, Again, they probably weren't very happy in terms of their performance against Scotland for long periods. But I suppose they're probably in rueful reflection here, you know, given the performance they did against France they probably would have felt that would have had enough to beat France, given the level of performance from the previous week to last weekend. So I think from that perspective here, uh, Liam, not a lot to be positive for if you're Australia and uh, Rennie, the head coach.
1: Yeah, that uh, figure tight try, try, that was a sensational try. Like like a, almost a, a typical French break, you know, which, which it, uh, was finished unbelievably well. But then just it was like, 9 13, 12 13, 17 13. It was just like that. It was an ebb and flow between the penalties. Yeah, I, I thought that when it was out, got out to 25 29 and with Bernard Foley getting a really good kick, I thought really that was it to be honest. But no, typical, typical French at home, they will find a way.
0: Yeah, sign of a good team, really, isn't it, Liam? But they kind of refused to give in. Maybe a French team of a few years ago may have just kind of thrown the towel in and said maybe next week, but. This group of players, in particular Galtier, head coach, are a very galvanised unit. And as you say, is it 11 unbeaten now for France here, Liam?
1: Yeah, 11. 11, and, And with South Africa, granted to come. But, I mean, it means that end of six nations, they could be looking at world record 18 wins in a row, potentially.
0: Yeah, which kind of probably presents its own challenges, I would say, Liam, for a record like that. You know, the pressure is on you a little bit to keep that winning streak alive. So... It will be interesting next weekend, particularly with South Africa, who will be hurting after last weekend. But uh, any other games here that really took your interest, I suppose, Argentina uh, with a 30-29 win over England in Twickenham?
1: They did, yeah. That was that was the crucial bit about it. The first try, I think, for Buffelli was an absolutely, again... Oh, it's if belter, you talk about the, the, the great tries we've seen, you know, I suppose, Etzebet, he's in his movement. Then we had... Uh, van der Freer, his try, uh, and I suppose, look, Jameson Gibson-Park cutting the line there as well, and then Ike a tie But um, this was as good as any that for that try in the corner. Yeah, um, that pass. And again, the arc, there's, I think that's something that maybe teams should really try and focus on, is kind of an arc, an arky run. run. Uh, that was a great try. And uh, yeah, okay, look, they got an, an intercept, kind of an easy intercept try as well. But uh, New England, from the highlights anyway, certainly seemed to have most of the ball, most of the possession, but weren't able to influence those sort of key moments.
0: Video analysis from an England perspective is going to be a bit of a head-scratcher given the territory that they had here, Dean. I mean, from a metres run perspective, England ran for 427 metres versus Argentina's 157. Possession, 63%. England, 37% Argentina. Territory. And I think this is where Martin Gleason and the back line coaching staff are going to be put under a little bit of pressure uh, this week, particularly against Japan. 73% territory against Argentina's 27%. The tail of the tape here, there was an awful lot of good work happening in midfield. But once they got into that 22 of Argentina, the idea is the creativity, particularly the back line cohesion, just didn't seem to be there. Uh, Kakasinga and also Tui Lange may be prominent in terms of their carrying, but nothing very cohesive and Owen Farrell even admitted post-game that an awful lot of work is to be done here in England to get them into a bit of a cohesive world-class unit.
1: Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think the worrying thing if you're an England fan genuinely is seeing how smug and how um, unapologetic, I suppose, that Eddie Jones was post-conference there, um, interview. Yeah, and it's it's kind of worrying to, for an England fan, I can imagine, to see how blasé he seems to be about, about, the, about the loss. And that the ever is just going to come good yeah it's i i think i think his time is up at england <laughs> and this is a year out from the world cup that's it like
0: like let's be pretty honest here lean irony japan coming to twickenham this saturday what happens if there's a less below par result here and japan versus a win here do you feel that eddie jones's position would be untenable as england head coach
1: yeah, I I I still think I suppose they they can they can let him go sometime between now and the World Cup. That that's for sure. Yeah, I mean like you know I suppose there was a bur- really poor Barbarians performance there as well in the in the summer as well. And then they were they, they did slightly improve. Uh, look in in winning a test series in in England or I mean in Australia, and that kind of gave him a bit of leeway again. But yeah, it's kind of a bit up and down really. I in a funny way of all the kind of eight or nine major test playing nations, England, at the moment uh, seem devoid of any sort of real game plan, or even for all the players that they seem to have, they don't seem to have any great young players coming through either.
0: Indeed, I suppose Marcus Smith kind of probably the exception to the rule here, but again, it's kind of the tried and trusted here, Liam, a little bit, isn't it? Just in terms of the players that were on duty, I see. Um, Jamie George has been summoned to the England squad. Maybe a little bit of an indication here that maybe more pack quality is required. This is a guy that had a suspected broken foot and looked to be out of the Autumn International Series. But I think such as I think it is the urgency for England to get a, a result and even a standout performance against Japan that even guys like Jamie George are being summoned in here where you thought maybe it would be an opportunity to blow. Do you say very good prospects here? But again, you know, looking at the stats here, I mean, the some of the parts here, I mean, you know, Billy Vodapola, 15 carries, 54 metres. Freddie Stewart here, 8 carries, 58 metres from full back. Cochna Singer with 13 carries, 103 metres. Again, you can see that there's individual performances here in the squad, but just nothing cohesive, nothing really kind of blending in the pack versus the, the back line here. So I think... It's going to be an awful lot of long work here ahead of Eddie Jones and even England team. And if Japan do turn up here, I think it might be a very nervy tweak them. If this game is in a melting pot with 50, 60 minutes gone on Saturday.
1: Yeah, and the funny thing is, if you actually recollect it, England always in the, in the autumn series, it's kind of very funny. They might come out and produce really well against the likes of the South Africans and the Aussies. But they all struggle against the, the likes of a, a Samoa and barely like get over the line, you know what I mean? A six or seven point victory, uh, and this game in particular could be one of those like uh, kind of uh of your seat victories, you know what I mean? <laughs> England getting a a penalty try or something in the in the last few minutes to to get the victory, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one how England play it because if they go a little bit too expansive, Japan would just love that and lap that up and create tries from absolutely nothing. So I think. Eddie Jones and the coaching staff, I think they're going to be looking for a win first and foremost. And then after that, then seeing hopefully maybe some cohesive team performance moments, particularly with ball in hand. But um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting watch in Twickenham. I suppose, Liam, before we conclude here, maybe get a few predictions. I suppose before we do that, maybe week three, Ireland-Fiji, verdict there, Liam?
1: Oh yeah, I I presume an Irish victory, but it's more a case of what the Irish lineup is going to be. To be honest, I mean, I, I don't know what we're going to learn really, particularly from Fiji. I'm, I'm kind of nearly already looking ahead to the the, the Aussie game, and I would really would like to see Frawley and Crowley, actually, be giving opportunities there, which means maybe Joey Carberry getting the start uh, in this game. I suppose, look, there's also going to be the injuries already now. You We probably are looking at McCluskey and uh, Murray out for the rest of the series, which kind of reduces the options a bit. Then you're looking at craig casey to come in uh from the uh ireland team that took on the new zealand uh, xv so yeah i mean probably for him in the in the fiji game context i would say arguably he's the 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 biggest player who has an opportunity to to nail down important position
0: no i think opportunity knocks i think for a few the ireland a team They'll be relishing the opportunity if they do get drafted into the senior squad this weekend. To really take it with both hands, given a very difficult night in RDS there last weekend. I would go with you, Ireland, probably be 20 30 points. But I think what Fiji will pose is more the open field dynamic. Now, I think Ireland should, should be able to exploit a little bit from a set-piece perspective. I'm imagining Rob Herring will probably be getting a little bit of game time here, maybe along with Dave Heffernan, giving Sheehan maybe the the day off. But I think from that perspective, Fiji will hit hard and they'll also maybe ask a few questions, particularly in our kind of outside defence. I'd like to see Robert Balakon probably continue on that back three, just to kind of continue to kind of see his development a little bit and really get some ball-in-hand um, phases as well. So for me, probably Ireland by 20 or 30 points and hopefully the weather is uh, kind in Dublin uh, for a bit of an offload fest uh, from Fiji as well, which will be always entertaining. Italy, Australia in Florence.
1: Oh, Uh, yeah, i have to say, Australia, to get the win there kind of fairly comfortably, I suppose, look, 25 points thereabouts, I reckon.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I I think, to be fair to Australia, they did set down a marker. They were very unfortunate against France. I mean, that will just build momentum and motivation for next year if the two do play each other uh, in a World Cup. I think Italy, granted they had a good win against them all, they're dealing with a different prospect here, a different grade of team. I would think Australia, definitely for me, by probably 30 points, unfortunately for Italy. England, Japan uh, in Twickenham. Uh, well, we've kind of said here in the last few minutes, this is a bit of a banana skin. Uh, who do you fancy here, Liam? Uh, name?
1: Yeah, uh, I think I think I suppose like eventually I think England will just about win. So I'm I'm, I'm predicting a high-scoring game, uh, forty, thirty-five, for England. For England, yeah,
0: yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think just about. I, I think I will go with you there. I think what Japan will pose, some of the tries will expose an awful lot of backline frailties defensively. It may raise more questions than answers, Freddie Jones and the English media here. So I think it probably sets things very well for probably week four, particularly when they're going to be playing from that perspective, from England perspective. I think they'll get the win, but it may be a scrappy in nature. Wales, Argentina, Wales. Is Wayne Pivak under a bit of pressure here to maybe get a result here? Uh,
1: yeah, I think I think he's been here before, hasn't he? He's been here in Ottawa International before. And then Wales have like kicked on and uh won a few games in the Six Nations. I think this is this is really if you think about it, it's been a standout year for Argentina. Mm. To to win against New Zealand and New Zealand, to win against England and England. I mean, they they seem to be a coming side that know what style of play of rugby they want they want to play, you know. It's it's one of the games where I feel though that Wales will just will make a bit of a comeback in this game. I'm expecting to see the back row changed uh, at 10 as well. I think they're going to make a change. And I, I think Wales have this kind of thing slightly over Argentina. Um, So I think Wales will just about get there, I think, maybe three or four points.
0: I'd just give the slight edge to Wales because I think Wales realise they need a result here. I think the camp really needs a result. The coaching staff and management need a result here. Otherwise, they're heading into week four here with, with a little bit of a must-win against Georgia, who have proven in the past against Wales, particularly in the Principality Stadium, of capable of running them close. So I think from that perspective, I'll just give the hesitant vote to Wales, but I don't think there's going to be much in it. If Argentina can get 45%, 50% possession here, I think they have every chance of winning this game. They do have the footballers. They have a they have a very talented back line here if they can get any front football. But I think Wales hopefully should have learned mistakes from New Zealand and really kind of match Argentina really physicality-wise, particularly in that front five. Maybe it was a, maybe a missed opportunity last week against uh, New Zealand. Uh, France South Africa, probably the pick of the games here, uh, Liam, in the Stade Valdrome in Marseille uh, on Saturday night. Who do you fancy in this one?
1: Yeah, I suppose, it's, again, it's intriguing because we were discussing the potential after this of, you know, a huge game winning record for France if they were to get over um, South Africa and again for South Africa if they don't win this one they could have a very long autumn series you know and um, when you have the likes of England to come the last time that they played instead the of France South Africa basically got a few more oversights to, to 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 get a win so it could come down to something like that again uh, in a funny way you know the, the France Australia game, it was like so free-flowing, it gave them the opportunity to come back in and for penalty try. Um, whereas South Africa, we're going to ask them different sorts of questions. And so I think that South Africa would be a bit more smart uh, in their rugby this week. Their power up front, I think they, they they'll get some good forward tries. But again, this time I'm going to have to give it again to France because... I don't think that their kicking problems are going to suddenly evaporate in a week. So France are going to win by
0: six points. I think the kicking problems for South Africa may rare it's said here again, but I'm just fascinated to see this front five battle between France and South Africa, to be honest with you, just seemed like the vet to bed, you know, literally. Again, France, if they have any aspirations of World Cup, really need to be doing a number on South Africa here. I'm not suspecting that South Africa are going to change tactic too much given their Ireland performance. So I think it's really down to France and see how they can evolve and uh, recreate really those gain line breaks. Um, I think France, for me, by seven or ten. But I think South Africa will pose a few questions here, particularly the half-pack pairing, I think, will be put under immense pressure by that South African pack at times. So I think it'll be fascinating to watch that one. I suppose if the Babas all-blacks 15 in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday and um, Scotland versus New Zealand, I suppose we're focusing on Scotland and New Zealand then Russell, recall, back into that Scotland setup not before time. Any chance for Scotland here against New Zealand based on the performances last weekend? No,
1: I I, I, can't, I can't see anything happening, you know. And and for, for Scotland, you know, when they play New Zealand in particular, the game is pretty much over after 30 minutes, you know. Um, So they can't give them a two or three try head start. Scotland just have to focus, on, I guess, on their own performance. Russell is probably going to come back in. It's going to be his, his, his reintroduction into into the squad. But it isn't really going to hugely alter the result. Um, Scotland need to be able to like also score some good tries, work in some good tries against New Zealand. I think New Zealand will win. They won't win by, by the kind of scoreline that they had last week, but they still will win by about 18 to 20 points, I think.
0: Yeah, I think eventually they will pull away, but I think Scotland's pack... You have the ability at times to really stifle opposition. And again, from Scotland, I think there's nothing to lose here. Uh, maybe the pressure's off them a little bit after seeing what Wales did last weekend. Again, I think from a New Zealand perspective, that performance was pretty impressive. So Scotland, as you say, to focus on our performance here, Russell back will be huge. Um, it will be interesting just to see in the latter stages. But again, I can't go any more than a New Zealand win, probably 20 points at the end but hopefully scotland can give a good account of themselves and i mean it probably leads to new zealand very nicely into the 19th of november when they travel to twickenham to play england and i mean god you know if eddie jones is under a bit of pressure to, to get a performance new zealand is certainly not the team to be going uh to get a performance uh just given maybe new zealand's form will continue at a pace here in Murrayfield. Yeah, I think
1: so. I think I think they're going to come in into the England game really in, in good stead with two comprehensive victories. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to be a very much a positive for New Zealand.
0: Liam, there's an awful lot of massive rugby ahead. Uh, it's been a lengthy one. Uh, many thanks uh, for your insights uh, tonight, Liam. Um, maybe next week we can review the action from the Ireland-Fiji game. Look ahead to the Australia test match next weekend and also run the rule over probably England's performances against uh, Japan. Uh, Liam, many thanks. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, You're safe, Mark. Okay, have a good one. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.